filled with information. Where do you turn to get straight talk about retirement, investments, and your money? Lock it in to the longest-running financial talk show in Arkansas and let us help you build the bridge between information and application. Real financial change begins right here, and it starts with you. It's showtime! On today's Get Ready for the Future show, how do you view your money? It can greatly impact the decisions you make about what to do with it, how reshaping the way you think about money can improve your financial future. This is the Get Ready for the Future show. Hi, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of the Get Ready for the Future show. We are glad to have you along today. My name is Scott Inman, along with John Shrewsbury and Tim Key. As we talk about the love of money today, you know it's going to be a good show when we're bouncing along to the intro music, which we were. You didn't all get to see that. I guess nobody really got to see that. I'm really glad we didn't get to see that. We hope nobody saw that. uh, Yeah, and and if Casey has that video, uh, I will be having a long conversation with Casey after this show. Yeah, I hope nobody was uh, listening to that, (laughs) and and Casey's not recording at the moment that we were doing that. But it was fun. Hey, we're going to have a good show today about the – and this is the jumping off point today – is really about mindset, and we talk about that a lot on the Get Ready for the Future show, how you view things really affects your decisions. I think this in all walks of life. This is not a show that is going to be intentionally a Bible lesson, but we do like to draw lots of um, education and lots of perspective from the Bible. And everybody knows this verse from 1 Timothy, and it's not Timothy Key, 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's one of the most common Bible verses I think people know. I do think it gets mis, not only misinterpreted, but misquoted as yeah. money is the root of all evil, which is not correct. And there's a clear distinction there. Money is not evil. Money is not even the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. So what does it mean to love money? And is money truly, possibly evil? No, no. no I, I don't think money is evil. Money is an inanimate object. Yep. Uh, and, you know, people can be evil and money can make you more of what you already are. You know, if you're a good person, it can make you a great person. You know, you can be a, a very giving person and you can give if you have a lot of money, you can give a whole lot of money. Uh, but if you're an evil person or if you have evil intent, money can amplify that. And I think that's really the heart of where this verse comes from, Tim. Oh, absolutely. I think when Paul was actually saying this, he was saying it to a younger pastor and making sure that he realized you know, what needed to be done for his church and, mm-hmm. and that the love of money would be the root of all evil. So if people were chasing after things, that could really lead the wrong direction for that congregation. So I think it just amplifies, John, like you said, if you're good, that money, having more money can make you even better. I mean, a giver and things like that, but it can also make us do some bad things. Yeah. And I think that gets really misconstrued in, in our current culture because there is a vein of our current culture that thinks anything that has money attached to it is just evil, period. Mm-hmm. It's just, you somehow have taken advantage of somebody to get that money. And so you must have evil intent or you must have evil ways of actually doing that or whatever the case may be. And I just reject that. I don't think that's the case. Now, let's let's put this in terms of, of personal finance for just a moment, because I've done this for a while. I've seen a lot, a lot of things go on. And I think from a money standpoint, being successful with money is about, I'm going to guess about 90% 
all up here and about 10% of what you have. Because I have literally seen people not have a great deal of resources and they've actually become very successful with money. Now, I didn't say successful in terms of just, you know, they're not running a big company or something like that, or they're not ultra rich, but they have become successful at money, meaning that that their lifestyle is such that it is very successful in that it provides what they want and what they need. And I think that's really where we need to bore into this, guys, is that 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 psychological effect of how you think about money has way more to do with your success than picking the right investment or having the right asset allocation or having the right financial advisor or whatever the case may be. And that's why we spend a lot of time here basically being uh, money coaches and, mm-hmm. and helping people to understand and very much the the analogy of an athlete and having a coach. The coach never goes and runs the play. The athlete does. But it, the coach is helping that athlete from a psychological standpoint understand the context in which they're they're actually playing yeah and it's it's a big question i think with a lot of answers for different people on how you feel or how you think about money because i think there's a lot of people who feel like they don't make enough they want to make more they uh, yearn for and strive for a better financial future but they don't feel like they can they don't feel trapped they make bad decisions they get into debt they chase the keeping up with the joneses mentality whatever the case may be there's also the viewpoint that, you know, you, we don't talk about money. That's that's big in the South, right? We, oh, don't, yeah. we don't really talk about money. I don't think my parents talked to me about the the real situation of what was going on in our household at the time and then what I needed to do to prepare for my future. And I think that's wrong. I think that we have to open that up and think about it. But really, when it when it comes down to it, however you view money, whether it's uh, whether it's a negative or a positive or, or an envious look at other people it might need some changing and that's our intent today is to maybe get inside your head a little bit right and 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 talk a little bit about how you might need to change your way of thinking and john you talked about um the investment side and 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 looking at that and i think that's a good good starting point to to talk about how people might apply this um i think about the 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 balance side of this first and foremost when you think about preparing for your future and saving for your future many people are in one of two camps and rarely or do they start in the middle they're thinking about today and that often that oftentimes is happening in your early life when you're trying to raise kids build a build a family or 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 raise a family have a house have a mortgage you've got a lot of expense going on and, and you're really just concerned with today that does, I think, tend to change for most people as you get a little closer to getting the kids out of the house and starting to think about retirement. But maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're still living for today. So how do you view that, the balance of to, of having fun today and paying for your life today with preparing for your future? Well, I want to share a quick story on that because I, I was actually faced with this before I was a financial advisor. I was uh, about 30 years old when my father uh, developed colon cancer in 2004 and he, he he has survived. He's still with us today. But that was obviously a, a real touchy moment in our lives. And at the same time, uh, my co-anchor from the news, Kate Sullivan, had given me a book to read called The Millionaire Next Door. Now, that was a if you if you don't know what that book's about, it's basically creating a template or a um, 
a, a it's a survey of people who were millionaires and this was written in the 90s i think so it it's been around a while now and probably needs updating but at that time it was a survey of people who'd become millionaires in the united states and what was the typical millionaire like from a lifestyle perspective and and the overall results of the book there john were that they didn't make a lot of money. They didn't really have a high income. They lived beneath their means. That was the overall takeaway there was, is they didn't have the biggest house on the block. They shopped at Sam's for their clothing. They sacrificed yes. to get to be a millionaire. So here I was faced with, on one hand, reading this book and going, if I want to become a millionaire, I've got to sacrifice and do without, and then seeing the possible mortality of my father at the same time and going, well, what if I saved all this money and prepared and became a millionaire and then I die at 61 years yeah. old, right? <laughs> yep. So that created the balance for me. Both are necessary and both are realities. But I think the, the, the takeaway for me was it is better to prepare for a long retirement and it not happen than to not prepare for a long retirement and it happen. Yeah, I, I clearly agree with that. And and we, we face this uh, discussion all the time in our meeting rooms here at GenWealth. We will show them their uh, GenWealth ready to retire process and the income for life model. And the income for life model shows usually a pretty significant income over in their 80s, at least in dollar amount, Tim. And we always get the question, well, I'm a, why do I need all that much money when I'm 80 and I can't do anything with it or whatever the case may be? And we have to explain to them that's really not all that much more money than where you started with. It's just inflation adjusted. And, and people oftentimes can't see the need for looking that far into the future and preparing well for that. Yeah, when we take inflation into account, you know, $6,000 today may be $9,000 or $10,000, you know, 15 or 20 years from now. And I think, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm not going to need that much money at that time. And we do change the way we live throughout retirement. You know, when you first retire, if you're retiring healthy and on your own terms, you're in the go-go years. I mean, you're able to go and do things. You're taking those vacations, going to see those grandkids or doing all kinds of different things with them. And then you've kind of got the slow-go years when health is starting to catch up with you. And then you got the no-go years. And we kind of joke that sometimes it's those no-go years is just sipping iced tea or lemonade on the front porch. But really, healthcare expenses or what's going to take most or could potentially take most of your income. And so you do need to make sure that your income increases over time. We also plan out to age 90 in our retirement process. And we have a lot of clients that say, well, my parents passed away in their 60s or 70s. I'll never get to 90. But if you do get to 90, I think you still want to have money in your income plan. And so we want to make sure you never run out of money in that plan. Yeah, Janet and I were fond of saying early on as we uh, began Gen Wealth, look, we want to plan as if you're going to live to age 100 because the thing we don't want you to do is to come in at age 90 and having run out of money and take your cane and beat us in the head with it because <laughs> you didn't have enough money to sustain yourself. And I think oftentimes people have this FOMO, this fear of missing out. Could I've spent all of my money better in my early years? Yeah. And maybe you could. Yeah. There are some things that there are some tactics that we can employ to help you with that but you do have to realize the effect of things like rising health care costs and inflation that do have an impact on how much you spend now because it's always prudent to put away for what you might not expect in the future well the point here too is the mentality of coming it to terms with what life is going to be like when you are older is very difficult and that i think does inhibit people from saving for retirement or creating financial independence because they want to 
to do things when they're young and able, and they think of their older self as not being able to do that. But you're really preparing for a time that maybe when you can't work, because what if you can't work and you do need to provide an income for yourself or you don't like your job anymore? I mean, what? how much of that has happened during COVID and the pandemic and things when right. people have just come to the end of their rope? We've met with a few of those people, right, Tim? They said, look, things have changed at my job. Maybe it's technology that I can't keep up with. Maybe it's just uh, the being at home all the time and having to do everything on the computer and not being able to interact with people. A lot of people are finding that they don't want to do that job anymore can you create a partial retirement income through your assets and still work and have some part-time income so there's all kinds of reasons that you need to prepare for retirement that's not necessarily fun to think about well i think that if you analyze this one of the things that really does mess with people's minds about their future self as far as money is concerned is is the onslaught of of just oh you got to have this perfect lifestyle and you got to do it all and you got to do it now and all that type of thing you think about all of the messages that come to you retirement ought to be this and frankly i know very few people that even want that when they get to retirement they just want to be able to live their life independently of a job it's not that they have to travel the world and go on all these exotic cruises and things of that nature. Heck, you can't even do much of that these days with yeah. COVID. But uh, but the the point is is that I think sometimes we are driven by the consumerism and the media and the advertising age that we live in to think about, oh, we've got to do everything as soon as we hit 60 years old. The door is going to open and we're, we're just going to go and it's going to be like, you know, kids loose on the playground again, except a <laughs> bunch of older kids or whatever the case may be. And to some extent, you want to do the things that you want to do. But what most people really do at the heart of the matter really want to do, and that is to be financially independent. And I think, Tim, those are two really completely different concepts this idea of just going to spending yourself silly versus financial independence and when we have our initial meetings with folks that come in um, scott's usually drawn on the board and one of the things he says when we're drawing the house and if you haven't seen the house you need to come in and see that yep but um one of the things we're looking at in that second portion of the house which is where we live where we make the memories it's retirement but it's really we don't like that word we really like to be able to say your financial independence you're able to do what you want to do on your own terms and so if that's working part-time or doing something like that bringing in some additional income because you enjoy something like that you can do that so really what we're trying to get someone to is financial independence so they can do what they want to do when they want to do it i think it's interesting too we have a princeton study here that we can reference to to build this point but if you are uh really struggling with the concept of putting money back for tomorrow. And by tomorrow, I mean decades into retirement if you're that far away from a possible retirement and you're living for today and you can't find that balance of preparing for tomorrow while living for today. A Princeton study says that really up until an income of about $75,000, money can be responsible for slightly increasing feelings of happiness. $75,000. But you know, if you because and it makes sense too because if you have a certain amount of money, that can fix a certain amount of problems, right? In life, then and if you don't have a little bit of excess uh, income to be able to solve problems and fix problems, you you can add to your stress. There's no question about it. But 
That same study found that after reaching an income of about $75,000, there is no relationship between income and happiness. So this idea that the more I spend, the happier I will be is really put to, to rest and, and counteracted by this study. And I know that's different for different people, but the reality is, is you know, once you have some feeling of day-to-day security, right, that it makes sense to start putting some back because it's not going to make you any happier to, happier to buy and buy and buy. Well, and that's why through the uh, ready-to-retire process here at GenWealth, we focus on creating regular, predictable, dependable income that meets your needs, your needs, that is, through retirement. And that income, you know, unless there is a cataclysmic failure of the economy, is not going to get interrupted. You've got things like pension, Social Security, uh, annuitized income, pensionized income, if you will, that we build a strong foundation on on that, those things. And I think that speaks to the seventy-five thousand uh, dollar. You know, that number may be a little bit nebulous, but that speaks to that idea of having a base level of income so that happiness is in place. Yeah. And then if you have more assets than you need to produce that $75,000 in income, then the door's kind of open. You know, you can do whatever it is that you want to do. Now, oftentimes, guys, we create that excess money into additional monthly income, so there is a systematic way of doing that. But I have clients, and I know all of us have clients, that they live on their day-to-day income that that uh, required income that we create in the income for life model, that day-to-day income is what sustains them. And then they have all their other investments and they don't necessarily take from that on a monthly basis. They just take on occasion when they decide they want to do something. Absolutely. And I was just thinking about this survey and, you know, and, and that 75,000 or whatever that number is for someone about, you know, making a little bit more makes you feel a little bit happier. It is because you're taking care of your needs and you know, those are taken care of. I think after that point, then you start chasing things. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe you start getting into debt because you're making the payments every month to somebody else. But actually having loans from the bank and or the, whatever it is and having to make those payments every month and write that check or see that money come out of your bank account, that takes some of the happiness away. And that probably offsets the more income that you're making because you're always chasing something. It, it does. And, and if you think about it, I, and I used this phrase back several shows ago. I don't really remember the context, but but when you think about what that provision of that regular, predictable, dependable income as a base level of income in your retirement, what that does for you, it literally gives you a license to spend mm-hmm. the other money. Mm-hmm. And and when you lock down your basic needs. Then you go, okay, now you've got discretion on this money, whether it comes in on a monthly basis or whether you put and take from it or or whatever the case may be, you create a license to have some freedom. And I think, again, when you think about financial independence, you think about freedom. And that's really what the mindset that people have is, all the verbalization of, I want to go do this, I want to go do that. You really want the ability to go do those things, whether you actually go do them or not. Yeah, and one final point on this before we move on to the next topic. Uh, I think it's important, too, when you when you hear that word financial freedom or financial independence, it's so often associated in someone's mind who doesn't have a financial plan with some arbitrary number of wealth, right? I mean, it, yep. if and that can really be a barrier mentally with your money, too. If you think 
that you need a million dollars to retire successfully, let's put it that way, to have financial independence, but you don't have a plan to know if that's really the number, and maybe you've only got $100,000 saved or $200,000 saved and you're 50 years old, that can be a barrier to just quit, right? Oh, yeah. That's the importance, I think, guys, of a plan is if you live modestly on $75,000 a month and you have some guaranteed income sources like a pension or Social Security, maybe even if you don't, Tim, you may not need a million dollars to have this retirement you want. No, everyone's different. We've had people come in here with three or $400,000 and they, they didn't make saving into their retirement account a priority, but they also work for maybe the government or the state and they have a nice pension Mm -hmm. and that pension they paid into that throughout their retirement from payroll deductions as well but it's coming from a different angle and so if that pension along with the social security is enough to cover your necessary you know required expenses um, then the extra three or four hundred thousand dollars or whatever you've accumulated that's that extra you can go and you can pull from from time to time to take those family vacations or do those house remodels and things like that. And you're taken care of. You do have financial freedom and financial independence. And that is just something that is different for every single client that we have because everyone is different. Everyone's needs are different and everyone views retirement in a different way. Scott, I can I can think about as this conversation is going on, I'm thinking about one of my clients that retired probably 10 years ago or so. They've lived a, a, a comfortable lifestyle. They have traveled some, but they've also faced some serious health problems in their family. But they are literally, you know, and as a result of good markets during this time and what have you and good strategies and all of that, they are literally better off today than they were when they retired. And so, but they're very comfortable and they're very at peace with where they are financially. And that's really where I think a lot of people can find that happiness. And I think that that's where maybe this whole uh, idea about how you feel about money comes from. And and mm-hmm. it is literally one of those things that, that if you plan well, your chances are much higher of having that degree of comfort and, and peace of mind and financial independence than if you don't have a plan at all. If you just kind of hope that it'll all work out or hope that you hit some big stock you know, purchase or yeah. whatever the case may be, you're always going to be on edge about that because that's just where you live. But if you actually plan well, you can live well. We began this show talking about the verse out of the first Timothy, the love of money is the root of all evil, but money itself is not evil. Money is neutral. Your financial plan is neutral as well. It's putting numbers together so that you know how much you should be saving, how you should be investing those savings to reach a goal in the future to provide an income that is unique to you. You define it, both from the guaranteed income sources that you'll need and from the desired income in retirement. And that is built at GenWealth no matter where you are along the journey, we can help you get there. So the other part of this is, is okay, maybe you've recognized that. You don't have a problem with balance. You know that you've got to prepare for your financial future in some way. Maybe you even have a financial plan that kind of gives you an idea of that roadmap. Let's talk a little bit about how the way you view money can affect your investment decisions. Because we work, guys, with a lot of people who are coming to see a financial advisor for the very first time. They have been running the show for themselves all along the way. I do think that it is pretty pretty much human nature that as you get closer to retirement, you do begin to realize, 
I don't really know how this is all going to work, right? I've, I've right. stuck money back. <laughs> I've done okay with throwing it at this investment and that investment. And then when I get to needing to spend it and making it last, that's a whole different ballgame. But And we'll get to that possibly too. But the idea of choosing investments and how you view money can affect that can be one of two ways, I think. And we're going to take the extremes of that. Either it can cause you to have the casino mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people think they're looking for that big, fast, quick hit. And it's about chasing returns. And that can go all that can filtrate all the way down to, to a lot of things. But you think about how you can make the wrong decision with your investments if you say, hey, Man, I got to go get me some of that crypto because it's going crazy, right? I can I can triple my money in two days, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that your viewpoint of money affects that. Yeah, clearly, it, it does. And you know, I, Tim, I think the most common thing that we see here amongst a lot of our clients here in in the, the in the South is that they have worked hard and they built it up and they don't want to lose it, so they have this tendency to go very conservative. Mm. Yeah. that you know every dollar they make and every dollar they put aside they don't want to see that go down and they're, it's really going down in their account even though the balance isn't going down because of inflation they're losing, right. they're losing buying power but it is that they are conservative they're either in the money market um, account or the uh, some bond accounts and uh, or funds and things like that and and it's just really restricting the potential of what they can do especially if they've got time and so we do have very conservative people come in here. We Scott and I just met with somebody last week, and we were talking about the balance of his account at December 31st, and we said, well, that might be down a little bit now just because of the way the market's moved the last few weeks. And he said, well, it hadn't moved. And like, okay. So <laughs> we know that that's in cash. That's in that money market account. So yep. uh, there's there's no risk there, but you are losing buying power over time, especially with the, you know, we all talk about inflation right now at five, six, seven percent. And so if you're gaining a half a percent or one percent on your money and inflation's at let's say six, we're losing five percent buying power. And so we are Yeah, and and I think that the way that you've got to to illustrate that to someone is to say, look, you've got a let's call it a six thousand dollar income right now. What's six thousand dollars gonna buy twenty years from now? Hmm. And by the way, rewind the clock and think about what things cost today versus what they cost 20 years ago you got that that whole paradigm happening throughout your retirement and you've got to have a way to increase that and so our philosophy here at gen wealth is we want you to take just as much risk as you need to take to accomplish your goals but no more because there's really not a need for you to do that uh, and that really talks about the other side of the coin, uh, Scott, when you talk about all the cryptocurrencies and all these wild investments that you see pop, and we will have people come in and just insert whatever into this blank, but they will come in and they will, they'll, they'll pose this question, well, I've been thinking, do I need to get me some of that blank, yeah. whatever that is, yeah. crypto or, or this particular stock or whatever? And the answer is always, Eh, probably not, you know, because because right. in context of your goals, right? Do you really need to do that? Do you need this giant pop in your money for you to actually get what you need and want out of retirement? Chances are probably not. Now, if you come to us and you got 
300 bucks saved for retirement and you're 55 years old, you might just go ahead and, I don't know, go over to Oakland or something of that nature. But, but uh, you know, you, you're probably not going to make it, and so it doesn't really matter. But most people are not in that situation. Right. And so it does color how you think about this. And I think that there's just a lot of curiosity out there by a lot of people. They hear about these things. And again, it's FOMO. It's the fear of missing out. Should I be on this train? And I think a lot of times those trains are are going to some unknown destination. Right. Yeah. I think about, you know, when I, I don't know if you guys have this problem, but when I drive, let's say, you know, we went to Florida for the Razorback uh, Outback Bowl in January, and, and you put the destination into your GPS or whatever directional app you've got, and it tells you your arrival time. Mm-hmm. It is my goal in life to get there before the arrival time that my GPS <laughs> says. And guess what? It hardly ever has happened, right? Well, because they're pretty darn good at that. But And the, if you were to do that, yes, what do you have to do? You have to speed. And, and what's the risk? The risk of a wreck, the risk of hurting someone else, the risk of getting a ticket, right? There's all sorts of impediments to trying to beat the clock, so to speak. And aside from all of that, the risk of you getting stopped and spending 15 or 20 minutes on the side of the road with an officer while he's checking your background yep. and you know all this type of thing, then that's going to actually be a self-fulfilling prophecy of you not getting there on time exactly and so the analogy i use there is compared to what we what you just talked about with the trying to chase returns and get there quicker get ahead of schedule that's the purpose i think of a financial plan is it puts you on schedule it puts you on a path to a goal that is going to be reached by a certain point in time and there is no sense in taking on more risk than is needed because you could crash and burn. Yeah, and I've seen people do that. Uh, I, I will tell you a, a quick story. Uh, I have a relative who uh, was accumulating money many, many years ago in an aggressive growth mutual fund. And, you know, we had some things going on in the economy and what have you. And I called him and I said, hey, look, I think it's probably time that you reallocate some of this because this aggressive growth, this particular aggressive growth mutual fund had been up almost 100 percent in a year. Hmm. And I took a cussing from him because he's like, what kind of financial advisor are you? Tell me, get out of this blankety blank fund. It did 100 percent last year. And I said, but that doesn't mean it's going to do 100 percent next year. And then uh, so after a couple of months, I was able to prevail on him to move the money and that was right before the dot-com crash Mm. and the dot-coms had driven it up and the dot-coms drove it down but i was able to prevail on him to move the money and his fund that he was in went down by like 50 percent or something like that now that was not necessarily anything that i did but it was just pretty clear okay look you probably ought to take some money off the table here because you've had some great gains i talked him into it over the course of a couple of months you know what he said he was telling somebody about it, and he said, best decision I ever made. <laughs> and so that just goes to show you, you know, you can – but had he gone on the path that he was going on with the recency bias of thinking about, okay, well, I just made 100%. I need to stick with this. Yeah then he would have probably lost about half of what he'd accumulated. Yeah, I think that's so important, though, Tim, when you talk about the return assumptions, right? We're going to put conservative rate of return assumptions into our plan. 
We want to do better. Many times we do. But the idea of coming in and focusing all on performance is really, I think, wrongheaded for someone if they're going to work with an advisor. Yeah, really for us, it's the results. Making yes. sure that you have the monthly income that you need. We are going to use conservative rates of return in our plan. Some people look at that and it's like, I could get more than that. Well, we're wanting to get more than that. But we we don't want to have to keep our fingers crossed and hope the wind blows the right direction to make sure that we get the returns that you're wanting to get, but only the returns that we need. So if we can outkick our coverage and we get better returns, we're just going to be able to provide more income going forward than we thought we would. Scott, I will say this. If you are setting up your financial plan and all of your hopes and dreams and all of this type of thing on some rate of return that is outsized based on historical norms, then you very likely are setting yourself up for failure. Because those things may happen in any given time period, but they won't happen consistently. If you look at the S&P 500, consistently the S&P 500 is done around 9 to 10% per year. Now, the S&P 500 last year was up 25%. But, you know, it's just not going to happen. And by the way, I love what our uh, LPL chief investment officer, Burt White, said about that. Did you see this tweet that he had this week? I'm not sure. He said, look, if uh, losing 10% over a few weeks in the market in 2022 is not good for you and, and you, you can't deal with that, then you probably need to give back the 25% gain <laughs> that you had right. in 2021 right. because you can't have one without the other. And when you look at that, you have to think about that. How does that average out? And if your plan is based on something more than what the averages say that you're likely to get, you're probably setting yourself up for failure. Well, once again, our time is coming to an end. You heard the bell in the background. That is our bell indicating it is time for our closing thoughts. And we'll go to the other end of the table. Tim, we'll start with you. Well, it's kind of going around the verse that we started with is, you know, that money is the root. The love of money is the root of all evil. And so my thought is, is money the root of all evil? And we absolutely know that's not correct. Money ha is amoral. It is neutral. But money is a tool. And that can be a tool in our toolbox. And having it available to us will make us more of whoever we are. So if we're very cheerful givers and things like that, we'll have that much more to give. We may get our name on a building or whatever it might be. We can do a lot of good things with it. But if you're tight with it, if you're squeezing that money, then it may just become, you know, you're a bigger miser than than you were before. But, um, you know, money is one of those things that we can work with and we need to have a plan and a purpose for it. Absolutely. And and Scott, I would say that that if you have a misconception about money, you may not even know it. And probably one of the best things that you could do is to sit down with a financial advisor and talk through this. One of the things that we do here at GenWealth is we have a conversation with you about your attitude about money and what you really want and need your money to do. And if you do that, then you can actually put together a plan that will uh, give you the best chance that you possibly can to get toward financial independence in your life. But it does start with how you view money and what your expectations are. My final thought is a reminder about the many resources that are available to you for free from GenWealth Financial Advisors. Part of the GenWealth difference is we are education-driven you can find out for free if you're on track for the future you deserve and the legacy you want to leave by visiting 15minuteretirement.com or text the word CHECKUP to 501-381-5228. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. 
If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building toward financial independence, share the podcast with your friends and family. The Gen Wealth financial team is available to you 24 7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866 653 PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. GenWealth Financial Advisors is an Arkansas-registered investment advisor with securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC.